welcome to another episode of concise kansaratwa your regular source of satire on everything from rains to grains just last week the cyclone nivar struck the coast of tamil nadu and pondicherry and if that were not enough we now have another cyclone hitting the southern parts of the state you could perhaps listen to the sound of rain and the croaking of unwilling frogs in the background as i am recording this episode when a metropolitan city like chennai which has grown recklessly all these years is hit by a cyclone the damage can be enormous even if never was more forgiving to chennai the city was flooded in places that are usually identified as low lying areas in reality a low lying area is an area that has not yet been uplifted so to speak with appraised buildings and elevated road levels if you have studied geography in school you would recall that chennai is a part of the coastal plains where the word plain plainly means a flat landmass or as a dictionary says an area of land with relatively minor differences in elevation so the next time you hear that low lying areas of chennai are under water someone is just uttering a low lie the more common reason we hear when such areas get regularly flooded is that they were once lakes and this is usually followed by the rhetorical question what else do you expect if you construct houses on lakes as reasons go this is better than the low lying one but then as they say explanation is not exculpation in other words just because a region was a lake 15 years back or 500 it does not mean that it should get flooded when it rains at least not during regular bouts of rain the reason a region gets flooded during rains is because the rainwater has nowhere to go and the reason the rainwater has nowhere to go is either because the way is blocked by anything from plastic bags to illegal constructions or because the region is a new suburb which can wait a decade or two before the local administration decides to do something about it in the past when someone constructed a house they would construct it at an elevation from the road level because that helped reduce the dust from the road and when it rained the elevation prevented the water from entering in like an unwelcome guest the civic authorities did not like this because when it rained the roads got flooded and they were blamed yes they could have laid pipes for rainwater drainage but then bsnl wanted to lay telephone lines on one side of the road the eb wanted to lay electricity lines on the other side of the road and by the time they had done their work the summer would set in with the sun shining so brightly that it was difficult to do any digging when the digging would finally start so would the rains in fact even today the surest method of predicting rains is to find out if the digging work has started for rainwater drainage if yes then it would definitely rain in a few days no civic authority in their right minds would start work on rainwater drainage if it would not be interrupted by rains soon without a proper drainage the easiest way to ensure that water does not flood the roads is to raise the elevation of the road every time it is relaid after a few years all that rain water would enter into the houses on both sides of the road but the road itself would look as glistening after rains as a little model if the houses are flooded there is always money to be made by renting out pumps which can pump out water from one house 
into another house as long as the neighbor is looking elsewhere. The fetish for laying raised roads and increasing their levels every time they are relayed is just as inexplicable as the number of biryani shops that dot the OMR, Old Mahabalipuram River, I mean road. I was once travelling on a flyover when someone pointed out that it was an old road and it has been relayed so many times that it is now virtually a flyover. In a residential complex next to the road, the stilt parking had become basement parking and the first floor has become the ground floor. Nowadays, anyone interested in buying a residence opts for the third floor or above to prevent the traffic from the elevated roads staring right at them through the windows. So much for the upliftment of roads. The OMR, Old Mahabalipuram River or road when it does not rain, that I alluded to, is a stretch of road in Chennai which once used to house IT companies. If we think IT, we think computers. And if we think computers, we think, who else? Rajiv Gandhi. Because we have been told that he is the one who brought computers to India. Never mind that when the first computer was installed in the Indian Statistical Institute, Rajiv Gandhi was 11. Never mind that when TIFRAC, the first indigenous computer was developed at Tata Institute of Fundamental Research, Rajiv Gandhi was just about exiting his teens. Never mind that when Tata Institute of Fundamental Research changed its mind to go from indigenous computers to import computers, Rajiv Gandhi was studying in Cambridge, which degree no one ever asks. Never mind that when TCS was founded, Rajiv Gandhi had just about married she who shall not be named. And also, certainly, never mind that when FC Kohli was just about setting up the future course of TCS, Rajiv Gandhi was holding the future of the Congress party in his arms. So yes, the road was renamed officially as the Rajiv Gandhi IT Expressway. But thankfully, no one calls it by that name. When any government sees such money, I mean investment, the first reaction is to figure out how to mint more money, I mean bring more investment. Which in the case of the old Mahabalipuram river, manifested in the form of a toll booth. In the days of yore, when the IT companies had just installed themselves and the OMR, as it is called, was in the outskirts of the city, the toll booth made sense. Over time, the city expanded and still does like an unchecked nightmarish monster with buildings springing up like angular pustules suburbs growing like grotesquely mushrooming extremities and the boundaries bulging with a murky tumescence. OMR itself became synonymous with bad roads, traffic jams, flooded stretches and reckless driving, all things which somehow make people in Bengaluru swell with pride. And the idea of a toll made less and less sense. In order to ensure that people do not escape through side roads without paying the toll, the greedy authorities even set up toll booths on these side roads and further prevented the construction of new roads that could have eased the traffic on the OMR. Imagine two parallel roads, the OMR and the ECR, East Coast Road. They are apart by no more than two kilometers at their widest. And they run parallel to each other from, say, location zero. 
The next location, the road that connects them is 11 kilometers away, which means that two points may be separated by two kilometers as the crow flies, but would take you 11 kilometers and a toll booth as the car stalls. The next road after that which connects them is another 15 kilometers away. Imagine a long ladder with only the first, the last and the middle step. That is what it looks like. All of this because constructing a proper road connecting these two parallel roads would lead to a loss of revenue from the toll. In fact, the extent of greed can be gauged by the fact that the toll booths would extort money from you even when the toll booths themselves are in water. If you don't believe me, ask anyone from Chennai who has passed through the Perumbakam toll after or during rains. Today, the crumbling OMR, with toll prices raised once more, serves as a symbol for everything that is wrong with politics, with administration, with government and with people too. If a toll road can be like this in a metropolitan city, what could be the condition of a normal road? Ruminating bovines, dogs who think they own the road, auto drivers practicing mountain rallies, water tankers defining and defying irony, food delivery workers who want to deliver religion-free food before it becomes inedible in 20 minutes, vehicles parked haphazardly, pavement, if it exists, taken up by vendors, electricity poles, transformers and urinated walls, people who think they are deities and raise their hand to stop the incoming traffic and cross the road, and potholes that have mated like rabbits to create even more potholes. I have come to know some potholes personally over the last many years as I have traveled over roads that look like lunar landscapes. Some potholes have developed a well-rounded personality while some still have rough edges. Some potholes are so profound or deep that Deepak Chopra has decided to adopt them to hone his postmodern philosophical psychobabble. Some potholes are extroverted polygamists reaching out to other potholes, raising families of little potholes who then like playing with the smaller tires of scooters. Some potholes are drunk philanderers, unable to see where they go and in the end, you find them hung over the edge, clinging on to the road for their dear lives. If potholes were not enough, there are speed bumps too. And when you have a pothole in a speed bump, you get a small stretch of a normal road as they cancel each other out. Near where I stay, there are 15 speed bumps in a stretch that is hardly a kilometer and no two speed bumps have the same size or shape. I am not kidding and if you happen to be in Chennai, I can give you this bumpy ride home. They range from those which may simply scrape the rubber off your tires to those which may dislodge a tire from your vehicle. We are a country without standard because anything goes. There are no standards for speed bumps, street lights, signals, signages, sidewalks, stickers, stops, bus stands, medians, lanes, reflectors, parking spaces. We seem to be a country, sadly, with no standards. If you had read history, any history, even the ones written by historians who refuse to share their CV, you would have read about what was earlier called the Indus Valley Civilization or the Harappan Civilization. Now, if we have any sense, we would use the name Sindhu Saraswati Civilization. In those days, our ancestors used bricks of precise standard sizes 
and constructed altars of precise geometric shapes. How did we go from that to infrastructural randomness and civic chaos? Our ancestors laid down functional roads and built working drainage systems. How did we go from that to cities which spew out sewage like an overdrunk ogre? Our ancestors raised temples that defined beauty, that defined intricacy, that defined craft. How did we go from that to the angular ugliness and mundane monotony of modern day buildings? Our ancestors erected ports and docks and built ships that traded with places near and far. How did we go from that to hooking up roads that become rivers when it rains and on which garbage floats like abandoned boats? Old Mahabalipuram Road, which has turned out to be the theme of this episode, is named after the Hindu temple and port town of Mahabalipuram, which, in turn, is named after the Hindu king Narasimha Varman I, who was called Mahabali. You could call him a harvest king if you like, instead of a Hindu king, but that doesn't change anything. We are talking about the 7th to 8th century here, which is a part of history that many of us may not have even read, because it is either absent from textbooks, or compressed into a single line which clubs the Pallavas with the other southern kingdoms of Choras, Cheras and Pandyas. The temples, which are called with the unimaginative name Shore Temples, probably deliberately to strip them of their Hindu origins, are some of the most beautiful temples constructed from that era, astounding us with their aesthetics and transporting us, if our imagination allows, to an age where kings would have overseen the construction of yet another divine inspiration, priests would have resounded the temples with their chants, citizens would have prayed to fulfill their wishes, a spouse, a child, a job, a promotion, and families of merchants would have waited for the ships to arrive on the shores. How did we go from that to a feeling of pride that Mahabalipuram is now a world heritage site, a must-visit tourist destination? stripped of its dignity and its divinity. Yet, I must say that the choice of Mahabalipuram by Prime Minister Modi when the Chinese Premier visited India before the country had unleashed the pandemic is diplomatic wiliness at its very best. Who is to be blamed for this, this misplaced sense of our pride, this pathetic neglect of our heritage, this sorry state of our infrastructure? I don't know, but we can always blame the Prime Minister, Modi, as evidenced by the next round of protests in the capital city. This time by farmers, within courts, who have kindly reached Delhi to show their solidarity with the people there who are breathing polluted air because someone somewhere was burning stubble. My apologies, someone somewhere was bursting crackers. I have nothing to say on the protests except this. I am under no delusion that the ones who are protesting or the ones putting food in my plate. All we have to do is to look at who all are involved. So that's it folks. For once I wanted to share my views on something that is closer to the ground instead of social media, political twists and asymmetric wars. Although some of this invariably becomes a part of any episode. We have a long way to go before we can justify the glory of our ancients and only then can we dream of conquering the world. Until then, we'll only be fighting foreign interference which would use manipulated media to tell us what is manipulated media. Yet, as I like to say, a glimmer of hope always remains. 
and the winds have not forgotten the tales of yore and still whisper them to anyone who has the capacity to listen may vishwakarma bless us all